Go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 32. We'll be looking there this morning. Um, if you don't know, my name is Drew Johnson. James introduced me, but I'm a pastor here at Calvary Spokane. Normally on Sundays, I preach out at a small church in Seven Bays, Washington, Lake Roosevelt Bible Church. Um, and during the week, I work here for Ken um, and with the team here. So uh, I'm an assistant pastor here, and it's a joy and a pleasure for me to be here. I'm honored, and I'm glad that Ken gets to be away and visit some family on Father's Day. Um, so I asked, you know, how many people were fathers. Uh, do you guys remember the process of naming a baby? Does anybody remember that process? Was it joyful or was it a little bit grueling? A little bit of both, right? It's, it can be fun and joyful. How many, after, after the process of naming a baby, how many of you f- felt like you needed marriage counseling afterwards? <laughs> Some of us. Um, it was like a it was a little bit stressful for me, uh, it's sort of like picking out your, your, your items on your wedding registry. That was a little stressful too. Uh, but it's important. You know, this child is going to have, uh, have to live with this name that you've given them for their entire lives, right? Um, if they have this name, will they get made fun of? What will their nicknames be in the schoolyard? Um, how will people be mispronouncing it or misspelling it for the rest of their lives, right? It's, um, it, even though it's a joyful process, it can be, there's a certain gravity to it. And today, we're going to be looking at a man, an adult, who gets a new name. So let's pray together, um, and then we'll read this passage. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father, and that you are good to us all the time. Uh, We praise you and thank you for this morning. We pray that you would speak to us by your word, and uh, that we would exalt you and worship you with our lives. So I pray that you would help us to understand your word and explain it to us and reveal it in clarity this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, go ahead and stand with me. I'm doing things a little bit out of order, um, but uh, stand with me and we'll we'll read uh, Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. But Jacob said, "Uh, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Okay, well, we kind of just jumped into this passage, uh, and so I'm going to start off talking about where, where are we, and first off, I'm going to talk about a little bit of family history. Well, today's Father's Day, and we're going to be looking here at Jacob, one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers uh, of our faith. Um, so that's a little bit exciting, maybe. Um, anyways, but his grandfather was Abraham. So Abraham 
Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. We have the, the children's song there. Um, and Abraham, uh, his name was actually Abram first, but God changed his name later. God renamed him later. Uh, God took him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, present-day um, Iraq area, and uh, brought him into uh, the land of promise, the land of blessing. Abraham had a wife. Uh, her name was Sarai, and then God changed her name to Sarah. And if you remember also, uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah were promised by God to have a son. He was going to have many sons, as numerous as the stars of the sky. And yet, year after year after year after year, they did not have a child. And they were well past the age of childbearing. They were uh, very, very old. Very, very old. And, uh, they, so, but, but God did eventually bless them with a child. Uh, the, the son, the promised son, Isaac. If you remember before that, though, uh, they did a little bit of scheming. They did a little bit of trusting, not in the Lord, but in their own strength, in, in their own ideas. And Abraham uh, had a child with Sarah's uh, handmaid, her servant. That was Sarah's idea. It's a weird idea. I don't know why. Um, it was actually common in that day if, if the wife wasn't able to produce an heir to take the, the servant uh, and have have her produce a child, and then the wife could build a family through her. So it was common in that day. Today, it's, it's a little odd. I don't recommend it. It's going to cause marital problems, as it did with Abraham. Um, but anyways, Abraham had his son Isaac, and Isaac uh, was married to Rebecca, and, and then they had twins, and one of the twins' name was Jacob, the man in this passage here, and his older brother was Esau. Now, um, Jacob uh, came out of the womb when he was born. He was born second, so he was the younger. And as he was coming out of the womb, he was holding on to his brother's heel. He was the heel catcher, uh, Jacob. And um, his whole life, he was struggling with his brother. He was struggling with men. And uh, he was actually a little bit of a, a deceiver, a swindler, a little bit of a liar, Jacob, Jacob was, which is interesting to me. When I look back at uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of our faith, you see uh, that the Old Testament lays it out just like it is. It doesn't, there's no sugarcoating, there's no padding, that these, these men were regular guys who made lots of immoral decisions, and they are objects of God's grace, just as we are today. Um, but Jacob was, uh, had swindled his older brother Esau out of two things. He had swindled him out of the birthright and out of the blessing as well. See, in their day, the oldest son was given a, a double portion of the inheritance. So Abraham, uh, sorry, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, they would have had a will uh, and would have, had, would have given each son uh, a share uh, of, their, of their two sons. Esau was supposed to have two shares and Jacob was to have one. However, one day, uh, Esau came in from hunting, and he was really hungry, and uh, Jacob uh, bought the birthright off his brother for a bowl of lentil stew. And I think, lentil stew <laughs> wasn't even filet mignon, wasn't even something good, it was lentil stew. Okay, some of you like lentil stew, I offended you, I'm sorry. Um, but there wasn't even any bacon in it, any bacon bits, right? Because they were, you know, pork is unclean. Anyways, so Jacob uh, bought the birthright off his older brother. But he also swindled his older brother out of the blessing as well. Uh, Jacob's uh, father, Isaac, uh, 
accidentally made Jacob uh, the Lord over his brothers, uh, and that typically went to the, the oldest brother in the patriarchal society. Uh, and how did Jacob do this? Um, his, his father was old, uh, well along in, in years, and his eyesight was failing, and so, uh, uh, so Isaac brought in his oldest son Esau and said, uh, go uh, find some game and prepare it for me and the way that I like it, and uh, then I'll give you my blessing, uh, and I'll pass on the, the, the title of father of this clan to you. You'll have my blessing for that. You'll be lord over your brothers. So Esau goes off, and uh, Jacob and his mom uh, conspire to quickly whip up some game, and Jacob comes in, and um, Jacob is wearing some goat's hair, and I think Esau must have been a very hairy man. If, if, uh, the, <laughs> if a patch of goat's hair is what Esau's arms were like, that's sort of embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, it worked, so uh, Jacob, Jacob comes in and, and feeds his father his favorite game. His father says, you sound like, like Jacob, but your arm is hairy, like Esau, like a goat's hair, right? Um, and anyways, uh, Isaac uh, blessed him, uh, and so Jacob, Jacob swindled his brother both out of the birthright and out of the blessing, but his oldest brother, his older brother Esau, was so angry about this, uh, understandably, brothers are usually upset with each other, um, but this, this time he had good reason. Um, and he was planning to kill Jacob. Esau was planning to kill him. And so Jacob, uh, at the advice of his mother uh, and a little, bit of, a little bit more scheming on her part, uh, fled to the northeast, partly to survive and partly uh, to find a wife, because he was a single man, um, and headed to the land of his mother's relatives. There, he got married twice, uh, and he was married to both of them at the same time, uh, and he worked for his father-in-law for 20 years. Uh, for 20 years, he worked for his father-in-law, and uh, the relationship with his father-in-law, Laban, was a pretty sour one. It was a sour relationship. His, his father-in-law, Laban, was uh, a crafty, scheming, uh, shrewd man. Uh, he changed the, the wages of Jacob 10 times. If you remember, when Jacob first moved there, uh, he fell in love with Laban's uh, youngest, younger daughter, Rachel, and he said to Laban, I'll work for you seven years uh, so that I could have her as my bride. And Laban said, okay, that, that works for me. So Jacob worked seven years, and then uh, on the wedding night, uh, uh, I guess when it was dark, or maybe Jacob had uh, too much to drink, I'm not sure which one it was, uh, but, his, uh, but Laban brought his older sister, Leah, who he didn't love and wasn't quite so beautiful. Um, and in the morning, he woke up, and it wasn't Rachel next to him. It was, it was Leah. And so he was a little upset with Laban, and Laban said, well, if you want uh, Rachel, you're going to have to work another seven years to have both, both of them. And so he had to do that. Um, but anyways, after, but then after six years, um, Laban kept changing the wages of, of Jacob, and, but Jacob still managed to prosper and to prosper and prosper, and somehow all of Laban's wealth God funneled towards Jacob. But it was in exactly the means um, that their arrangements, their business arrangements uh, had, had been set up. So uh, Jacob 
became exceedingly abundantly wealthy, and Laban and the rest of his family were getting pretty upset about this. Um, and so after this work relationship went south uh, with his father-in-law, Jacob's family set out to go back to Jacob's home in Canaan, uh, current, current day Israel. So as, as the work relationship went south, so they decided, let's go south too. Um, on the way home, Jacob sends a message of good tidings to his brother to let him know, hey, we're coming into town. Um, I'm going to call you Lord because I don't want you to be mad at me. Uh, And then when Jacob gets the message back from his men that he sent, the response is, your brother's coming with 400 men. So Jacob thinks to himself, "Uh, we're all going to die. So Jacob thinks, okay, what am I going to do? His whole life he's been a scheming sort of man, a little bit deceptive. Uh, He divides his family and everything into two camps. He thinks to himself, okay, if they attack the one camp, maybe the other camp will be able to get away. Um, So he he divides everything into two camps. Uh, He sends his family across the river ahead of him. And Jacob here is where we are now. He's left alone in a, a dark, desolate place at night, by himself, in the wilderness. Jacob's left completely alone that night. No family, no friends, no tent to sleep in, just the stars in the sky and himself there. And he's got to do some wrestling uh, internally, but then there's also something else bizarre that happens because he's in a tough position, right? Um, It's like that song that says, the cross before me, the world behind me no turning back, no turning back. Behind him, there's Laban. There's the wages of the world. And that wasn't working out for him. For 20 years, it was a frustrating dynamic for him and his family. So Laban is behind. There's there's no way he's going back to that. But ahead of him is Esau. uh, And Esau's coming with 400 men. And uh, so it seems like eminent uh, danger ahead, certain doom on the way. So the, the world behind, the, the cross before me, and then right now he's in this uncertain wilderness. So the world the, in behind, the, the way of the cross in front, the wilderness today. Surely you've been in a similar situation to Jacob, uh, though perhaps not, not quite so dangerous or so bizarre, uh, where you left something and there's no way you're going back to it, and you know what you have to do to move forward, but fear of what the future holds keeps you paralyzed, keeps you stuck. And all the while, the the future, though it's ahead, is coming at you, because that's what the future is always doing to us, right? The future is always coming. So even though you're sitting there in the wilderness, the future is coming towards you, just like Esau is coming with his 400 men. Perhaps you're in this place right now. Maybe you've had something devastating happen in a relationship, and there needs to be forgiveness, but you're afraid to move forward. If I forgive them, then they'll take advantage of me, or I'll look I'll look weak. Maybe the Lord's asking you to leave something, to leave perhaps an occupation uh, for another, uh, but it's just too scary for you right now. Maybe there's a besetting sin in your life, a sin that you keep going back to that you need to put away once and for all and move forward, but you're afraid uh, that you won't be able to do it or that you'll fail once again. Jacob is in this tough place uh, alone, the dark night of the soul, Uh, the calm before the storm. And in this place, he finds himself not just wrestling internally, but something strange happens. Jacob, you see, was a a wrestler by nature, not by 
trade, really. He wasn't going around wrestling people um, like a child, but he was a wrestler by nature. Uh, he wrestled with Esau. He wrestled with Laban. Um, not, not one for sport, but one in life. He strove to supplant his older brother Esau, scoring points by obtaining the birthright and pinning him by taking the blessing. Uh, and he's going back home and expecting another round with him. Uh, and he wrestled with Laban, negotiating his wages ten times uh, as La- Laban was always trying to best him, yet Jacob seemed to come out on top. Jacob was a good wrestler, but this night Jacob found himself in a different sort of match. Though he sent away all his family and possessions and was alone, there was a man who showed up, a man who showed up to wrestle him. Now, it may just be me, but I find it odd that a spontaneous wrestling match just unfolds in the wilderness. I mean, does that, is that normal? Do you guys, when you go camping, is it, oh, it's common at this campground that somebody's going to come wrestle you in the middle of the night? I don't think so. That's not my experience, but I'm not much of a camper, so some, some people might need to fill me in. Um, uh, there's, but it's just odd. It's just, it's even, it's even presented like it's normal. And Jacob was alone, and a man came and wrestled him. Normal, every day, right? Uh, but there's no, there's no smack talk, there's no weigh-in, there's no announcer, you know, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event, you know? They just dive right in, so matter of fact. Um, I doubt they were wearing tights or headgear, um, but I think it was a grappling fight nonetheless. And as I was studying, uh, the commentaries made a keen observation. Um, they, they, they said that God reveals himself to us in the way that we best understand or in the way that we are ourselves. Psalm 18, 25 through 26 says, To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. If you think, if you remember Abraham, his, Jacob's grandfather, uh, he was a traveler. He was a sojourner, right? He left the land, his hometown, uh, and moved with his, with his family and took his family, and, and they were travelers. They, they didn't have a home yet. Uh, they lived in tents. And when the Lord appeared to Abraham, if you remember, the Lord appeared to him as a traveler. The Lord appeared with two angels, uh, and Abraham showed hospitality to them. If you remember with me, Joshua uh, as well. Joshua takes takes place a little bit in the future, but Joshua was a warrior. He was a commander. He was a general. He went in to take the promised land, and the Lord appeared to him as the commander of the Lord's army. The Lord appeared to him as a warrior as well. And Jacob, we saw his name uh, uh, means uh, supplanter. Uh, He was a fighter. He was a wrestler. He fought with Esau. He fought with Laban, but God showed up to him as a wrestler and wrestled with Jacob himself. The idea that God reveals himself to us in ways we understand is something that is still in effect today. I, I think of uh, moving forward thousands of years to the Apostle Paul in the time of uh, just after Jesus was crucified. Uh, when the Apostle Paul was in Athens in Acts chapter 27, he found a statue there. He found a statue to an unnamed God uh, because the Greeks uh, worshipped many gods and wanted to make sure they covered all their bases. So there was a statue to the unnamed god. And when he was called to the, um, to the council, the city council there, um, he used that statue of the unnamed god as a springboard to tell of our Heavenly Father and of uh, forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. So he used the, the language and the means that they would understand uh, even their own uh, pagan things uh, to tell of God himself. 
I think even today, God has a remarkable way of revealing himself to people. I think you hear often of people uh, from the Middle East that the Lord reveals himself in dreams, which is an acceptable means of communication, a divine means of communication in their culture, uh, more so than to us here in the West. But even here in America, I think how often God uses certain types of people to reach their own. I think uh, God uses, I think of uh, a guy like Ravi Zacharias and uh, he's an intellectual, lofty type, and God sends him on missions to Princeton and to Yale and to uh, places like that, and he's able to speak the, in the language of the intellectual elite. Or I think of, uh, we got our guy like uh, Jeff Ross, a pastor here, uh, who God took out of a drug addiction uh, lifestyle, and God's used him in an incredible way to be an evangelist to people who are struggling with drugs and, and addictions and those sorts of things. People on the street, that's where he feels comfortable, and uh, God uses him in a mighty way, but, but God does that. He saves people um, and sends people as a witness uh, back uh, to the place where they came from. But coming back full circle, this man who came to tackle Jacob was, in fact, God himself. He was revealing himself in a way that Jacob could understand. The match was actually begun. It was initiated by God. The man wrestled Jacob. It wasn't Jacob starting a wrestling match. The man wrestled, that is God, wrestled Jacob. And God ended the match as well. God ended it by wrenching his hip, and then God ended it by blessing him. The Lord initiated the match, ended it as well, which is how our faith works. That's how our faith works. works. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Jesus, uh, the champion who initiates and finishes our faith, the founder and finisher, the author and perfecter. He starts our faith, and he finishes it as well. That's Jesus. That's who God is. Now, it seems in this match like Jacob is contending pretty well, since uh, it says that the man couldn't overpower him. But really, uh, the, the note there that that the man touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it. Uh, it's it's the, the picture that at any moment that God could uh, supplant us, that God could overpower us. It, it reminds me, uh, the other day, I've got a, a 10-month-old boy, right? And sometimes he likes to wrestle with me. Um, and I can make it look like it's a pretty good wrestling match, um, but really, it's not. At any time, you know, though he might be on top, I can take him and put him down. I do it softer than that. Don't worry. It's okay. Uh, don't call CPS, please. Um, but it's, he only has the upper hand as much as the father allows it, right? And certainly this man, uh, God himself, was greater than Jacob since the Bible tells us that it is the greater who blesses the lesser. Jacob realized who this man was when he was wrestling and asked for a blessing from him. It's kind of odd, though. You might be thinking, is God really a God who wrestles? Uh, I think of our Lord Jesus himself. He tells us that uh, we may face hardship in this world, but take heart because he has overcome the world. That's a, overcome is, a, is an aggressive term, right? And later in, the, in Revelation, he tells the church in Pergamum to repent of sinful living, or he will fight against them with the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God. So it seems to me that sometimes that our Lord Jesus um, has a stern uh, position, but now we must think of something that we haven't discussed yet, and that is the end goal. I mean, everybody who competes does so to gain a prize, so we must ask ourselves, why is this wrestling match happening? What prize is Jacob seeking? Uh, is it survival? Since the man came and initiated the match, perhaps Jacob is just trying to survive. But in the end, we see Jacob 
begging for a blessing. In Hebrews chapter 12, or sorry, Hosea chapter 12, it says that he begged for a blessing. He wept for it. So this is, this is what Jacob's really looking for from this man. But the, the type of blessing he gets, I'm not sure, is what he was looking for. Uh, what he gets is a new name. You see, Jacob's name, um, sorry, before we get into Jacob's name, uh, I want to talk about the name of God himself first. In the name of God, Jacob asked this man, uh, what is your name? But the man refused, uh, which is sort of socially awkward. They, they exchange names, right? Jacob, the man asked Jacob, what's your name? Jacob says, Jacob. Jacob asks the man, what's your name? And says, why do you ask that? Blesses him and leaves. <laughs> it's not normal. Normally we exchange names. Yet the name of the man is shown both at the end of the passage and in Hosea chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, it says, In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. This is Jacob. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord Almighty, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. And after this incident, Jacob named this place Peniel, which means the face of God, because he met God face to face and lived to tell the tale. So we know that this man was God himself who he wrestled, but this incident isn't about uh, figuring out the name of the Lord, um, as the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord's name never changes, uh, like Jacob's name will change here. In fact, uh, the Lord's name Yahweh, which is used over 6,500 times in the Bible, uh, which is the best way that we can comprehend his being, uh, means I am. The, inter- the eternal, unchanging, ever-present ruler. This is what Jesus, Jesus meant when he said, before Abraham was born, I am referring to himself as Yahweh, the self-existing one, not reliant on any created order for sustenance because he's the creator. God stays the same. But this incident is actually about the naming or renaming of Jacob. Jacob's name, uh, the name Jacob means supplanter, means contender, deceiver. It means he prevails. And this was representative of who Jacob was. Uh, Even at uh, even at birth, he came out of the womb grasping his brother's heel. And all his life, we noted how he struggled to gain the upper hand with men, uh, including Laban. But Jacob's new name, Israel, means uh, he wrestles with God, or God contends, or God prevails. The reality that, that Jacob has not just been wrestling with man all his life, but his struggle all along was actually with God. It dawned on Jacob that his deception, his scheming, his struggles in this life were the result of his struggle with God himself. And he needed to beg God, to weep before God, to surrender to God, receiving his blessing and allowing God to contend for him. See, Jacob was afraid to go fight Esau and he begged God for a blessing that God would contend for him. See, I think many of our problems, in fact, all of our problems in life can be traced back to a source, a struggle with God whether it's somebody else's struggle with God that's infecting our lives, whether it was Adam's struggle with God, which brought sin into this world, or or if it's our own struggle with God, uh, which causes sin and havoc in our own lives. We can spend our entire lives with our eyes on this earth, looking to our own abilities, our own strength to solve problems. We can try to supplant our brothers. We can try to uh, get the wages from our employers the way that we would like to. But Uh, By looking to our own abilities and strength to solve problems, we're merely putting on band-aids on skin cancer. The problem is deeper and more complex. Uh, There must 
come a peniel moment in our lives when we realize that in our strength, we're unable to fix the problems of our lives at its source. There comes a point at which we must allow God to contend for us. Uh, and this is, I think, what the gospel is all about. If you think about it, uh, what was there that, that, was, that was desirous about Jacob? What was there desirous about Isaac or Abraham? In their own righteousness, in their own works. I mean, we read plainly that the patriarchs had moral waywardness, that, they were, that Abraham lied about his, his wife who was uh, or his sister, who was actually his wife. Uh, we see that Jacob was a deceiver. Uh, we see this in much of the Bible, the, the characters in the Bible. Their moral waywardness, sexual immorality, deceitfulness. Um, I think of uh, is Jacob's son, Judah, and uh, the story with him. Uh, he had a wife and some children. Uh, he had a son who was married, and his son passed away, and uh, he had a younger son, and it was common in that day if, a, if a, a man passed away that his brother, if he was unmarried, would take the wife and continue his name. Um, but Judah refused to, to give up his son, his youngest son, to marry his, uh, his widowed daughter-in-law, uh, and so his widowed daughter-in-law lived uh, just a lonely existence in Judah's household until Judah's wife passed away, and then Judah wanted to go visit a prostitute. Um, so Judah is the line that Jesus came from, by the way. So Judah went to go visit a prostitute, and it happened to be his widowed daughter-in-law, right? Um, and so when she became pregnant, uh, they were going to condemn her and her family, uh, but she had happened to snag the staff from Judah, and she said that, well, the, the father of the child is the guy who owns the staff. And Judah thought, oh, yeah. okay, you're good. <laughs> you're more righteous than I. But this is the line uh, that we come from. This is the line of Adam. This is what man is truly like. And the Bible tells us plainly that this is what our forefathers were like. Uh, Judah and, and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, they were all like this moral waywardness, sexual immorality, deceitfulness. But, and we can't help but identify with them in their struggle to, to plug the moral flood of sin that flows from the heart of man. And that's why God sent Jesus, his only son, to contend for us. Just like Jacob sought the blessing of God, uh, he needed somebody to contend for him to be renamed Israel. Uh, this is what God did for us through Jesus. Jesus took on human flesh, uh, a language that we can understand, and wrestled for our salvation, even to his own death on the cross. There he defeated sin, penned it, freely offers forgiveness and eternal life uh, as the prize to all who believe on him and trust him as Lord. A future we can look forward to, not be afraid of like Esau. And this is not by our own works or moral uprightness, but is a gift from God that we receive freely. When you allow God to wrestle for you, you will receive a share of his winnings, and that winning is eternal life. Um, when my son was born, we gave him the name Elliot. Elliot means uh, Yahweh is my God. We like the name, but we talked about naming at the beginning uh, that there, there's nothing really unique in picking a name. Everybody has to pick a name. Uh, but the process is normally done giving a name to a new child. That's normally what's taking place. Receiving a new name as a grown man is odd today. Grown men don't receive new names. 
yet we see it in the Bible happening to grown men, semi-frequently. Abram was renamed Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, Simon was renamed Peter, Saul, Paul, Jacob, Israel. I think the reason God gives adults new names in the Bible is to inform us that a person who receives the blessing of God has to be born again in their soul. They have to be born again of the Spirit, receiving a new name from God himself as his adopted child in order to enter the blessings, receiving the eternal promises, inheriting the kingdom of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Names are given to those who are born, and God renames people that are born again. So we must allow Jesus to contend for us on the cross. We need to become born again in our soul by the Spirit of God. We need to receive a new name as a spiritual child of God and trust the Lord to contend for us here um, and going forward as we're obedient and faithful in his household. So a few, a few things to think about for you um, when you leave this place today. Where are you right now? Where are you right now? I mean, Jacob was in a tough position. Right now, are you in the world? Um, are you in a similar place when Jacob was with Laban and it was frustrating? He's changing wages all the time. Do you feel like you're banging ahead, your head against the walls of life? Are you just stuck in the world? Have you moved forward from there? Have you left the world, but you're contemplating going back? You've put your initial trust in God. You know he's the way, the truth, and the life, but you're just you're wrestling. You're in the, in the wilderness wrestling. You're afraid to go forward. You know you can't go back. Reminds me of when Jesus asked his disciples after many had left, he said, are you guys going to leave me too? Peter goes, where else are we going to go? We, can't. we left everything to follow you. You have the words of eternal life. Are you struggling? Are you wrestling with God right now? Or have you decided to take the way? You see, the way was the original name for our faith. Those who followed Jesus uh, after his death and resurrection and ascension, those who uh, held fast to the apostles' teachings, uh, belonged to the way, that they called it. Uh, and later on, they were called Christians. So today we're called Christians. But originally, they were called the way. So have you uh, entered into the way of the cross, moving forward in God's promises, trusting him to contend for you as you are obedient. I mean, we look forward. I mean, the way of the cross is scary because Jesus says you have to die to yourself if you would follow me, which is the way of the cross. But at the same time, we, God tells us himself that he will contend for us. And sometimes when we look forward at the future, it can seem scary, and uh, we're afraid to, to make those steps of faith. But God promises that he will be with us. Lo, I will be with you till the end of the age. Um, he is always with us, and his spirit is always guiding us and leading us. Will you allow God to contend for you? Will you trust him? Uh, Jacob, moving forward from here, when he went out to meet his brother, he thought the worst of it, uh, and yet uh, he was received uh, from, by Esau. He was brought into the family, uh, and he was blessed. Uh, he moved forward. The way of the cross was scary for Jacob, but God actually delivered him. Where are you right now? Uh, have you been wrestling with God? That's another question. Have you been wrestling with God? Um, and if so, how's that going? How's that going? Uh, have, you, have you come to overpower God yet? Have you pinned him yet? Are you struggling with bitterness? Are you struggling with unforgiveness? 
Um, and I know what it's like to struggle with those things because I'm a human and I'm no different than you. Uh, there's somebody you're upset at, uh, somebody you've, you need to forgive, um, but you just can't do it and you're wrestling and it causes a rift between you and God and you and other people. Um, you're afraid of what will happen. Are you wrestling with God in this area? Are you wrestling with God uh, out of fear of the future? Are you wrestling with God out of disobedience in your life? You're not moving forward. You've got to trust that God's going to contend for you. You've got to hold on fast to the Lord, not letting go of your spiritual fervor, casting aside every sin that holds you back, living up to who you are, your new name in Christ as a child of God, and then you witness the blessing of eternal life in your life right now. Uh, and thirdly, um, what is your name? What is your name? Are you like Jacob? You're your own person. You make a name for yourself in this world. Uh, or have you been born again of the Spirit? Have, have you allowed your Heavenly Father to give you a new name? Uh, what does your future look like there? What is your name? That's what I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, let's pray together. I have the worship band come out. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything we need to live a godly life. You've given us eternal life, and it's by your grace that you've done that. Uh, you've brought us into your family, Lord. You've allowed us to be born again. And we have uh, a new name and an inheritance with you forever and eternity. And you give us eternal life even right now. Lord, we just thank you so much for this kindness. Jesus, I pray that you would bless uh, all of us here. Pray, Lord, that we would desire to give our lives fully to you, that we would embrace the way of the cross and trust that you will contend for us moving forward, Lord. And thank you that you sent Jesus to contend for us on the cross, that we receive part of that gift, part of that treasure, that purse that he won, that eternal life and a name and a place in heaven with you forever, eternally. Thank you for this, Lord. Also pray a special blessing over all the fathers here today. God, be with them and help us, Lord Jesus, to be obedient to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you need prayer in any way, if you're struggling, if you feel like you're wrestling with God and need to, uh, to pray, we have people available to pray on the sides. I'll be down front. If you uh, want a new name, if you want to be born again in your spirit, and you call out to Jesus, if you'd like to pray with somebody for that, got guys down in front. We're going to enjoy a time of communion together where we remember the death of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, where he broke his body for us, uh, and his blood was poured out. Uh, so eat the, the manna from heaven uh, in remembrance of Jesus and, uh, and the blood that atones for our sins.